Hey y'all, welcome to Big Facts No Cap, the only podcast that's number one with a whole new world and your Aunt Merle. Let's go. Big Facts No Cap Big Facts No Cap No Cap Big Facts No Cap Big Facts No Cap No Cap Big Facts No Cap No cap. Buddy, 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 how's it going? Dude, it is going swell. It's a, uh, we're starting to get into the really perfect weather in California, so sunny, just a little bit cold, enough for a sweater if you want one, but you don't need one. It's perfect. Yeah, it's still a little bit chilly around these parts, but um, yeah, you know, I've always thrived in the colder weather, so. Yeah, yeah. I've always said that I get reverse sad disorder whenever the summer comes around is when I get really depressed. I, I would. It's not exactly like depression that you get from winter where it's because it's dark all the time or whatever and you don't see the sun. It's more of like active thoughts of suicide because of how hot it is outside. <laughs> I don't know if there's a Wait, difference there qualitatively. So you're sad during... If you're sad... If you get regular sad during the winter and then you also get seasonal affective disorder during the summer, have you at all considered that maybe you're just depressed, Adrian? No, spring's fine. Okay. <laughs> I really like spring and fall. <laughs> spring and fall. Those are the sweet spots. You really like the... Yeah, yeah. Also, I don't think I get sad during winter. At least not winters previous to COVID winters. Mm. I actually used to be one of those problematic people that would sometimes poke fun of like people who said they got sad disorder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of those problematic people who isn't totally right. <laughs> uh, big facts, no cap. Not taking a strong stance on this one. Oh, okay. My bad. I... I, I Erase that, y'all. Don't don't clip it and cancel. Yeah, you me. guys are editing, right? So you and the audience who's editing this, <laughs> skip over that. Hit the fifteen second skip button. We're gonna give you ten seconds of silence so we can get back on track. And that's enough, Paul. Yeah. Doing? Okay, Adrian. Thank you for rounding up your list of least favorite races. I promise to edit that out. <laughs> uh, my week was good. How about you, buddy? Pretty chill, pretty chill. Uh, nothing really to update you on in terms of like funny stories or anything. I actually just had like a bunch of um, little segments that I wanted to do. If you, if you if you don't mind me doing that really quick, of course I don't mind. Sorry, it's one of those things where it <laughs> yeah, gets yeah. a negative. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Uh, we got tip of Paul's tongue, where I found out that what Paul has been trying to allude to many times now is the story about the Velvet Underground, who sold only about a thousand <laughs> records, but everyone who bought the record went on to go form a band. Uh, I figured that out while uh, perusing through Steve M's videos, and he mentioned it once during a video, and I was like, oh, I think that's what Paul was alluding to. I don't know why I thought the Talking Heads had a similar story. I feel like I've I feel like I've heard the story with multiple bands. I don't feel like that's me being wrong. I feel like people. It's kind of like when somebody say it's your says it's your favorite artist's favorite artist. It's not actually. Oh, no, no. Yeah, that segment's called tips of tip of Paul's tongue, not Paul's an idiot. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now we're gonna go into the Paul's wrong segment. Um, <laughs> Paul Beast Coast has no ASAP Mob members at all. Really? Yeah. No, oh, they are not are associated. Sure? I'm sure. I sure? looked it up. I looked it up because are we I positive? Yeah. Uh, you're wrong. Wikipedia's wrong. And now we're going to balance this out with an Adrian wrong segment. Um, Doralee pointed out in a weirdly... I didn't really get the tone of her text, but um, yeah, my brother's birthday is not March 18th. It is May 18th, which I said during one of the podcasts. And I'm going to go ahead and say for me and Paul, in terms of the Paul's wrong, Adrian's wrong segment, as I pointed out to Doralee, 
At this point, the podcast is about 60 plus hours of us talking while drunk. Some stuff's going to fall through the cracks, my guys. <laughs> so some of this stuff's going to fall through, even if, even after the editing. Um, No, I'm pretty sure the Beast Coast thing is a Mandela effect thing, and I don't think I was wrong. You think we're in a different parallel universe where actually ASAP, was on, <laughs> ASAP Mob was on all the tracks? Yeah. <laughs> all right, I accept that. That seems reasonable. But your brother thing is beyond the pale unacceptable you know what's weird is um so i don't uh think i have any kind of reading disability but even after dorley sent me a text saying you said nando's birthday was march 18th like i looked at it for a full minute and was like yeah that sounds right doesn't it and then i was like oh may 18th why do they sound so similar in my head uh mm. so yeah I, yeah um oh and the thing about dorley's tone is like she asked like why did you say his birthday was march 18th and i was like why do you think because i like slipped up what, like why what is this tone <laughs> Why do you like what nefarious thing did you think was the wait, reason? Wait, wait, I know, I know, I, I know up. you do, or I know you, Dorley and Nando are often on that group chat life. Was this a was this a little side, uh, was this a little side convo, or did she call you out right in front of your brother? No, this was a Dorley and me thing. Okay, and then this is me to my brother and to our audience apologizing. Mm. Yes, I know it's May eighteenth. Uh, what's what are what are the last four digits of his social security number and the name of y'all's childhood pets? Also, just <laughs> <laughs> just just for just for thorough interviewing reasons. Yeah, I'm not gonna answer that. Yeah. Anyways, those are the quick little segments I wanted to bring in, just because I had those uh, sitting in the in the oven. All right. Do you want to talk really quick about? Uh, have you been perusing the internet today at all? Yes. Um, so w- w- some of the big news is that does Riley that- Reed have a new video? What's going on? <laughs> uh, yes, but also, uh, Daft Punk broke up and the internet is treating it as if they're dead. Like they're going through the whole treatment of like, people are posting their songs on Reddit for karma. They're posting like pictures of them. They're like, this is what Daft Punk looks like without their helmet. And I'm like, they just broke up and they haven't released music in like four years. Why is anybody <laughs> sad about this? Like, who cares? <laughs> Oh my god, is anybody doing the personal testimonials about how Daft Punk oh, saved their sure life? Oh, I'm sure those those are probably coming soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or that or I, like the the personal quirky stories of like I waited on Daft Punk at a Bubba Gump shrimp and they were the nicest people you could ever meet. Um <laughs> oh, oh my god, I forget what who it was. Uh I mean, maybe this is in bad taste to mock a story of somebody mourning, but when Robin Williams died, mm. I remember the funniest post on social media about it was the person on r slash t who posted a picture like a generic picture of a cup of tea and said this cuppa is for our fellow tea drinker farewell robin yeah yeah and it was upvoted to the like top of the subreddit it was like probably yeah (laughs) it was an incredible post and i was like was he famous for liking tea and i tried to look it up and no that person just absolutely made up that fact that there's just one stock photo of him (laughs) drinking tea (laughs) no it wasn't even of it was of just tea was the photo it robin williams was not in the photo it was just a picture of a cup of tea (laughs) made it to the top of the subreddit i haven't done this in a while but fun fact his daughter um is the voice actress for kovira oh yeah very cool uh, I thought you were going to mention that her name was Zelda, and it's she's actually named after the princess from the video game, not just like a coincidence. Yeah, she's not named after Zelda Fitzgerald. <laughs> or presumably just the name Zelda that also Zelda Fitzgerald was named after. Like... Not that she was named after the video game. <laughs> you know what? Let's move past this Robin <laughs> yeah, Williams' yeah, okay, daughter right, right. material. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, anyways, so yeah, that's just something I saw on the internet today about Daft Punk, and uh, maybe it's 
it's another one that's hard for me because I don't have any real personal connection to Daft Punk, so it all seems ridiculous to me. Uh, you weren't a big fan of uh, like Faster, Stronger, uh, More Powerful, whatever that song was. Faster, Stronger, More Powerful. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was a big fan of that one. What, what is that song? What are the words in it? Faster, Better, Harder, Stronger, Faster. Okay. Something like I that. should know it because, you know, Kanye, Kanye flipped yeah. it for a hook. Um. Have you, if you got, I guess you probably haven't because, well, no, you're a big hip hop fan, even if you're not like actually in production work, but um, have you met normies outside of like hip hop culture who like vehemently think that sampling is like stealing and like is shouldn't be done and like have like the dumbest takes on that? Uh, no, because a lot of my friends also like electronic music and it, mm. that happens enough in like electronic music too. No, I can't really remember the last time I've had that conversation. I mean, I know it's like a generic thing people yeah, think who I aren't like a, really into it i went on a date with a girl and i think during one of our text conversations she brought that up and i was seething i was just like that's that's such a dumb take <laughs> yeah it's also like just very boring like why would you want like i mean i guess i can see if you were a creator yourself or maybe you owned music in some capacity why you'd feel the need to defend copyright law but i just really can't see why as a consumer of art you would ever want to like you would ever feel any type of way other than just more things is better for me <laughs> like yeah 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 well it's usually some kind of argument about like it doesn't take talent to sample which it absolutely does if you just yeah actually look at it but um yeah yeah i don't know that, that's funny that you put it that way that it's like a thing where like when people who don't own capital try to uh <laughs> simp for billionaires <laughs> it's like what what is what are you getting out of this <laughs> yeah I, <don't, laughs> I mean i can understand if maybe like if you owned some bit of music and somebody did a really low effort flip of it and then put it back out you'd you'd be like rightfully peeved but i just can't imagine as a consumer of it <laughs> caring um i mean i don't know if we should put him on blast as uh as a loyal listener of this podcast but i remember adam was surprised I, he never oh, yeah, seemed yeah, upset yeah. by it, but he was surprised <laughs> to learn that that most rappers don't produce all their own music. But that's like a, quite a rare occurrence to be a rapper producer. That's why oh. J. Cole's uh, better than uh, Kendrick. You heard it here first. <laughs> oh, wait, do you actually believe that? No. Okay, good. <laughs> you said it so you said it with such a like flat like expression on your face. I was worried it was a real opinion. Dead serious. This is why 2 Chains is better <laughs> than all of these other rappers. There's, there's no way 2 Chains produces for himself. I haven't ever yeah. looked it up specifically. Does he really? Because 2 Chains has that story about how he does production. And then at one point, Kanye invited him to his studio to uh, make beats with him. And the story goes that 2 Chains played him some of his beats. And Kanye got his entire crew to like chant like 2 Chains shit is whack. 2 Chains shit is whack. <laughs> oh, really? Why do yeah. I feel like I've heard that story about not The Velvet Chains. Underground? <laughs> <laughs> that's how uh, Jimmy Eat World Wait, is, came it's, up with That's T-Pain, right? I might be yeah, wrong. Yeah, T-Pain. That's T-Pain. I, I, that's right, I've heard yeah. that song about T-Pain. That story, yeah. Uh, Poor T-Pain. Poor T-Pain. He can sing, though, for real, though. You know what his name stands for, right? Terrence Payne. Tallahassee Payne, because he was bullied so much growing up in Tallahassee. That's beautiful, man. T-Pain's such a sensitive dude. He really is. People yeah. are too harsh on him. I tell you, when he, um, well, that's another thing where he got, like, people in without any actual, like, knowledge about music or production hated him because he did auto-tune, which is another one where it's just people who are uninformed giving their opinion about things. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, obviously, at this, well, I always say obviously, but I'm so, like, disconnected from, I guess, like, what, 
normal discourse is. But I would think that obviously at this point you'd have to be pretty ignorant to like think that the coolest things in music aren't happening with people who are like who are editing their voices and post yeah, yeah. like um do you have any media one to round up actually no i can't think of anything i was trying to think about it earlier today and i don't think so nice 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 i have a couple quick things wait who just texted me was that you oh wait shit <laughs> yeah I just got I, a text I'm... from paul mid mid show <laughs> Let's me out and doing a good it. job. <laughs> I forgot. I guess I've I've never mentioned this before on pod, but Paul uh, texts me words of encouragement while we're doing the show to let me know that I'm doing a good job. Um, okay, so one thing really quick. I watched a TED Ed video about uh, pauses and ums and uhs and uh, likes in language, and apparently they're very informative. It's a very good thing to do, and it communicates information. And I should stop being hard on myself for how often I say like. And I found out the fun fact that even sign language has places where they use ums and uhs and uh, little uh, speech modifiers like that. I disagree with that. That just sounds like some linguist contrarian take. Like, I'm sure maybe sometimes you need a filler. But this idea that they're good just really sounds like somebody being obnoxious. They're called filled pauses and discourse markers. They have academic names and they serve a purpose. Okay, everything with an academic name isn't just some bullshit somebody made up. Paul, I'm going to appeal to authority here. Ted Ed, they know what they're talking about. <laughs> wait, okay, wait, this was Ted Ed. It was not a Ted X talk. It was... No, no, this is their educational series. Which, shout out to my friend Mike, who's done one of them. Tell me, tell me this man's name so I can go find his research papers and point out where he was funded by Jeffrey Epstein. You think that's what he was putting his money into? <laughs> <laughs> no, this, is, this was big Adrian money where I got this research to... <laughs> to get off the ground because i really needed the validation you're right he was funding the linguists that were doing research into whether the word minor should mean a way lower age <laughs> range uh, and then i'll do this for paul because he loves seeing me sad uh latest milan update not doing great loss against juventus loss against atlanta woke up at 6 a.m yesterday to watch us get our ass handed to us by inter in the derby um but you know you bounce back that's that's what happens. I've been a Milan fan for many worse years, so there have been worse times than this. And then last but not least, another Michael finally released their uh, full album, and it is interesting. I think their last two albums have been five songs each, and whenever they have that tight framework, they do really well. Given the space to use a whole album, I think sometimes some of the ideas don't really flesh out as well as I'd like them to. I think some of the songs are a little bit too long, but it's all pretty enjoyable, so I would still recommend it. And that's it for me. All right, let's, get cool. into this, uh, let's get into this theme idea that I cooked up. Yeah, yeah. So um, if anybody has a problem with the theme, uh, make sure to send an email to Adrian. You can find him on the UC Davis graduate student website. Uh, get in contact with him through there. Um, or, you know, just go ahead and send an email to the dean of UC Davis, uh, and he'll he'll pass it along to Adrian. Also, users, if you guys want to submit a theme, feel free to hit us up at bigfactsnocappod at gmail.com. Mm. I would love to do a theme uh, for my uh, fan suggestion. Yeah, so our topic. Do you want to pitch it since it was your idea? Yeah, so uh, a lot of thought went into this. Our theme is a whole new world, which is a phrase I said during a brainstorming. And Ball said, yep, sounds good, and hung up on me. (laughs) 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 Uh, And so, yeah, we didn't talk any more about it. We haven't fleshed it out together at all. Um, 
It's just what the theme is. It's a whole new world. Whole new world. Adrian, uh, do you have like phases in your life? Have you segmented your life into phases, whether it was like what house you lived in as a child? I mean, I would assume at least the move to Davis has to have been like a different phase in your mind than uh, than attending university in Columbia. My big phases are before I got bangs. Um, mm. That was a big one for me. Um, when I finally switched from skinny jeans to just slim fit, that was a big, that was a big move for me. That, that was a big, like growing up for me. Was there, was there any phase that was a segmentation at, uh, not a halfway point within time span, but a halfway point within the production of the human being that we see before us named Adrian? Was there like a moment that was an epiphany or that was like a real core turn in who Adrian was? Paul, I'm not a complete man, but I like the way you asked that question because honestly, any halfway point's a halfway to a halfway to a halfway <laughs> to a fully realized Adrian. Um, okay, so there wasn't like the time you found Jesus in jail and decided to be a whole different person. Well, I don't or, know what you're expecting because you know my life, so I think you know that didn't happen. The time you hit rock bottom and you were in that bathroom drunk and on the floor and it was 5 a.m. and it was Christmas Eve and your child was hungry at home and you realized you needed to be a different guy. There was one time when I took acid where I had like a real big epiphany that I wanted to do something more artistic with my life. And that really panned out as a scientist. <laughs> All right. Whole new world. We really made the topic so vague. There isn't much to discuss. I'm trying. I don't I don't think well, I have. A- well, I mean, obviously, I think we know what everyone's mind immediately turns to, which is the Aladdin song. So yeah. Called, do you have any associations with Aladdin? Um, I liked it as a child. It was a good movie. Um, I haven't watched it, it in a while. Um, I would put it. I would put an A tier, S tier for uh, Disney movies. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's not as good as Lion King, but it's way better than Pocahontas. So, hot takes. Wait, is that a hot take? I feel like that's pretty right. That's that's regular. I'm just saying you could have chosen one of the white Disney princesses. <laughs> you didn't have to go for oh, okay, okay. Like that. Okay, you're right. You're right. Well, Aladdin is also well, Aladdin and Lion King are both non-white princess and princesses. <laughs> yeah, African and <laughs> Arab. So you're right. Um Do we ever give any credit to Simba for being our first African king? I was gonna say just non-human. I don't know what about him is African other than Because he's, he's a lo- lion. Lion and African. Yeah, where do you yeah. think lions are? <laughs> In the zoo, Adrian. <laughs> <Where>? <laughs> it took place in the Zurich Zoo. <laughs> Where have you seen lions? <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, yeah, I thought it was a good. I thought it was a good movie. I don't know if it was one of my favorites growing up, but I did audition for our community theater's production of Aladdin Junior. And the uh, story behind that was they did that kind of like classic thing you see in movies and TV shows where they cast it and put like a sheet outside the door with the full cast. So they didn't like call you or text you or email you. You had to like go physically to the venue and see if your name was on the list. They didn't page you about it? No, they no. I was right around the <laughs> hospital ward like waiting for it. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so after school, my mom takes me to go see the list. And I see that I'm cast as guard number two, which was very exciting for me. And the very sweet thing is that my mom, who I think had other times throughout the day to go, went beforehand to check to make sure that I got in so that when we got home after taking me after school, she had like a little surprise dinner for me to celebrate. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
And I think something else we could do is, okay, we, we've reviewed Aladdin. I'll go ahead and do a spoiler. I did not pick an article about Aladdin as my interpretation of the theme. Do you want to... Do you want to do, like, a review of various ideas, like, you were thinking of? Because for me, when I was looking into this theme, I really want—remember a few years ago when a company did, like, the the sort of, like, PR stunt of, of asking people to go to Mars, uh, yeah, to yeah, sign yeah. up to go to Mars in the future? It, obviously, it wasn't a real sign-up. Nobody who signed up for that was going to end up going to Mars or whatever. But for some reason, the media actually stuck on it. And they were like, these people might be the people who end up being our first travelers to Mars mm -hmm. because they've signed up to uh, take a one-way trip to Mars. I was so badly hoping that there was an advice column where somebody was pissed at their boyfriend for signing up for that. Oh, or that pissed at their so girlfriend. good. Yeah, yeah. I, I scoured the web, but I couldn't find anything about somebody yeah, being wait, angry. So what's the full story about that? Because I thought it was like, it was supposed to be a reality TV show is what they were basically trying to get together. It was like a training people for Mars. That was, that's, that, that was what I remember hearing about it from a podcast like a long time ago. I don't remember. I mean, I think it was pretty clearly a PR stunt where the company actually had no real, like, technology or time, like, you know, or planned time or, like, rocket or anything, actually, that could lead to somebody going to Mars and setting up a colony. They had, like, a really fast merry-go-round for zero-G training. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was literally basically it. They were just like, hopefully, uh, hopefully SpaceX makes a really good rocket soon. <laughs> we'll rent it out. Um, that was about their plan. Um, but I mean, it, I'm sure it got them a lot of investment, so yeah, probably worked. You know how to come up with a viral marketing campaign. Capitalism. Anyway, um, and then another interpretation of this, uh, I was thinking of doing a college one. I was thinking- Oh, of, I, that, that crossed my mind as well. Yeah, for a yeah. whole new world. And I was also, oh, I found a couple of columns of people who were either planning to or had recently lost their virginity. And I thought Ooh, that was... <laughs> I did. I, that crossed my mind for a quick second, yeah. Um, yeah, there was, there was a pretty good one about a 24-year-old, but I decided it didn't quite feel like it was fitting the theme. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. Did you? What else did you uh, kind of like review in your... Yeah, so spoiler for the audience, there was one thing that I texted Paul about it, and that was that... I wanted to do a whole new world similar to your Mars thing about space. And there's a great Ola Poppy article where someone asks him if, if space is gay or at least non-binary. Um, <laughs> and he has a really fun answer to it. It's really good where basically his answer is like, yeah, space is hella gay dog. Um, <laughs> but it was just a little bit too short and a little too abstract for like, I think me and Paul to add anything to it. I think mm -hmm. oftentimes, as we mentioned on the show before, Poppy just kind of nails it on his own. And then, yeah, I thought about college because I think Paul knows like a couple of college ones that I thought about bringing in that I thought were really funny. And uh, then I then I decided to to go to where I ended up uh, finding something, which was in the idea of modern dating being a whole new world to what it used to be. Very cool. So I think we both went with uh, big cultural societal changes mm -hmm. as our uh, whole new worlds. Oh. And then for the third segment, um, I went a little bit more abstract. I, and you have not revealed the third segment to me, so we'll uh, we'll see when we get there. Um, all right, Adrian, you want to head into the uh, columns? Yeah, sure. You want to go first or second? Um, I think I'm going to go second. Let me go grab my pizza. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, as I said, my interpretation of A Whole New World, um, I think I brought it up on the podcast before, uh, but I did 
Uh, I think I received it as a gift, so I don't feel bad about reading it. I think Phil gave it to me as a gift. But as I've said before, I did read Aziz Ansari's uh, Modern Romance. And um, the whole premise of the book is that, you know, romance is fundamentally different than the way that it used to be in America. I think we can all agree on that, right, uh, Paul? Nope. Okay, yeah, you're okay, right. Okay, go along with the premise <laughs> just so I can get to the question. And uh, yeah, so like the way that Paul's dad and my dad wooed our mothers is fundamentally different than the way that Paul and I are going to find our brides. Smacking um, them across the head with a big old stick and dragging <laughs> them back to their cave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, my, my, my dad was on the construction site. He, you know, did a couple whistles and a couple, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hey, mama, what you doing tonight type mm-hmm. things to my mom. Uh, and then famously, Paul, I'm not actually, I, no, I don't think I could do that for Paul's dad and be <laughs> and not be insensitive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any depiction of Paul's dad that I do is going to be okay with him. So I'm going to skip that. Um <laughs> But um, actually, do your parents have a meet cute? Not really. Their story is that they were just part of like the same friend group. But I do remember one time uh, in Lebanon with my dad, we were walking through somewhere and he was like, oh, that's the street where when you liked a girl, you would take her and you would walk down the street with her. I was like, that's (laughs) so boring. (laughs) Oh, I thought there was going to be more to that story. Um, yeah, I think as I've said before in a previous episode of Dad or Dad, that uh, my dad was considered quite the ladies' man, a real heartbreaker. So uh, mm-hmm. I think the narrative they have is very much a story about uh, my dad found finally a, a nice independent woman who could rail him down. Uh, wait, that's not good language. Who could uh, reel him in. I think that's the word. But yeah, so that's obviously going to be a bit different than how Paul and I find partners in this modern world. And I'll tell you what, with cancel culture and Me Too... It's like you can't even talk to women anymore. Am I right, Paul? Mm-hmm. And that's the premise of this Dr. Nerd Love article. So we're going to read into this guy. Um, I, it's pretty long, but I didn't edit the question. I did edit the answer, though, for length and for brevity. So I'm going to go straight into it. Hi, Doc. I have a somewhat general question that relates to a lot of the advice I've seen you give over the years. Like many of your advice seekers, I'm a man who is shy about approaching people. But I'm baffled about why I should. What I mean is, I don't understand the moral argument in favor of it. It seems like a pretty simple issue to me. If I find someone attractive and approach them, then it's perfectly reasonable that I might cause them some level of distress when I do. Awkwardness, or annoyance, or creeped-outedness. I don't presume this level of stress would be large, nor do I think it necessarily happen 100% of the time. But the moral calculus here seems very easy. I can do something that is reasonable to cause some level of distress and have no positive outcomes, or I could refrain. Furthermore, as I said, I'm a man. I believe that men have a moral responsibility to keep from doing anything that causes sexually relevant distress in others. It's not that other genders lack this responsibility, but for men in our society, it's especially important. With this in mind, I can't imagine any possible justification for me to possibly ever approach someone in that way in any context. This also applies to finding someone attractive. If I see someone I think is hot, I'm likely to show a bunch of nonverbal, subtle signs of this, even if I try not to. The object of my attraction can very easily pick up on these behaviors and feel the same distress. I consider this slightly more favorable than approaching someone since it involves behaviors I can't directly control. But since I'm aware of this possibility, don't I have the responsibility to cut these feelings off as much as possible? I am aware that it's not completely outside the realm of possibility that someone might respond positively to me, because they're deep in the long tail of some population distribution. But that would make me feel bad. Someone so open or generous could be dating anybody. And so there's certainly better people that they could be with. And their issue now is that they have low self-esteem. Then I'd feel like I'm taking advantage of them. 
He goes on to say that he's not angry about this situation. I did uh, cut that down. It might be that it causes me sadness or disappointment that someone doesn't reciprocate my attraction. But sadness is just part of life, and honestly, it's not that bad. It's hardly something to blame someone for, if they have preferences that exclude me. I don't write this because this is a big issue that's causing me daily turmoil, but more as a genuine expression of confusion. Many people, including you, seem to presume that a guy in a situation like mine should just approach people with confidence and then be cool when rejected. Sure, that's better than not being cool, but how is this morally superior to just refraining? The worst case scenario is someone would want to be with me, and so we both miss out on it. But this is highly unlikely, and I mean, grow up and deal. The other option is I cause sexually relevant distress in people more often than necessary, and that just doesn't seem like the side to err on. The only person whose behavior I have responsibility for is myself. How could I not pay attention to try and minimize the hurt in other people? So what's the argument here? How is it possibly morally justified for me to find people attractive, much less approach them because of it? Thanks. Emmanuel Kant. Real modern-day philosopher here. Mm. I was about <laughs> to say very Kantian of him. What a doozy of a question, am I right? Yeah. Uh... He makes some good points. <laughs> no, he does not. <laughs> Let's start oh, what, what, Yeah, what do you think about the argument that he's laying out here? It, it, it strikes a weird place. I'm going to go ahead and apologize off top for how I characterize this, because... I don't think he's coming from a place of like, you know, right wing, like, well, I guess he just can't talk to women no more, huh? If everyone's going to be me too and you for doing so, like, he very much seems like he's like genuinely probably a very introverted guy with low self-esteem. Yeah, I will say not a good one for our theme. I don't think you hit that out of the park. So first off, I'd like to critique you on your- What are you talking about? It's a whole new world of dating out here. Fit the theme. <laughs> if this guy were born in the 50s, he would be buying malt try, shakes but- for every girl on the block. I, it's 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 a weird one to answer because my my like uh my instinct is to mock. Could learn something from it. And I can't tell if he's very genuine and has like a little bit of autism or Asperger's or some sort of like mm. disability roadblock towards normal human behavior, or if he's actually incredibly creepy and this is like some sort of like weird. You know, when somebody is so nice that it almost seems like maybe it's to hide the incredibly mm-hmm, dark mm-hmm. and disturbing. Uh, it's like it's like a nice facade to hide the most incredibly dark and disturbing soul you've ever seen. He's either that. He's one of those two things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I can see that. I can see that. There's clearly uh, something going on with him. I would say, yeah, beyond just what the normal guy thinks of. Because I think he lays out what is probably the the standard right now right which is just be cool when people reject you right that's what most people would say is the standard operation yeah which is true i would say i mean okay in a lifetime you get one or two you murder her (laughs) you fly into a rage you murder her you bury her deep in the woods but most of the time you got to be chill about it most of the time Yeah. yeah 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 paul how are you at handling rejection horrible i i i fall into a deep and lonely depression well, see, that's another part of the utilitarian framework. You don't ha- that doesn't happen if you don't approach people. Yeah, he he seems okay. If we're gonna take it at face value that he's not like he's not kind of virtue signaling, and this is legitimately how he feels. He's so worried about hurting other people that he doesn't even want to risk approaching them. Mm-hmm. Seems like he has so low of self confidence. Yeah, 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 that it's incredible that I you know. I mean, it, it was well written. It seems like he's. <laughs> he clearly had an editor. General, 
he he clearly had the grasp of the English language. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you know, dude, uh, there's worse out there than you. Yeah, uh, I like that he described someone who would find him attractive as someone on the tail end of a population distribution. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, okay, I I saw your like I saw your your jaw drop during that part, which that is like the craziest part of that question, right? Which is that even if she does find me attractive, then clearly she's too good for me and she's too nice and she should be with someone better. And so now I'm taking advantage of her. <laughs> oh my god. The chances of this guy listening to Big Facts No Cap, despite the fact that we only have like a hundred listeners per episode, is almost ninety percent. I think this is our core. Are, are we are we doing are we doing a dick show thing now where we like talk about our audiences if they're all autists <laughs> yeah that's kind of what i was going for <laughs> all right i like i can lean into that uh, as long as they oh. accept it for themselves no i actually i actually think this is a real person i think for someone like this probably exists where they're willing to like intellectualize their you know it, unwillingness to like put themselves out there by just making it into like a moral framework I'm not just too scared to talk to women. It's because I'm such a good guy. <laughs> I don't want to make them uncomfortable. Mom, it's not that I don't want to take out the trash. It's that when you think about it, when we add to <laughs> landfills, is there any moral justification for why we would not just leave it in the house until it decomposes on its own time? <laughs> um. Okay, so I think we've done enough, um, you know, talking about it in a kind way. Paul, if you want to roast him, here's your opportunity. I'm going to give you leeway to say... You've done your due diligence. Oh, I can go with that. If he was your friend, what would you say to him? If he was my friend, I would definitely just let this continue. I don't call people out in real life. Oh, that's true. That's true. And hey, I it means con- more women for you. Yeah. Whenever you guys go <laughs> to the bar. continue their self-destructive behavior. Uh, you know, one thing I have to ask is, when was this published? Because he doesn't at all mention like, hey, I don't have to be lonely. I could use online dating or something like that. Like um that's a good point i actually i also edited out part of his like uh it's not a big problem for me but his explanation isn't that it's more of like i have friends and other relationships that fulfill me for for the most part um he doesn't mention online but what about those yeah those friends are gonna get married and leave you behind that's inevitable <laughs> if you don't have a partner in life you're inevitably gonna be <laughs> alone um yeah absolutely no he doesn't mention online dating but the answer does um but no i think his because his argument is mostly about people in person right like uh, dating apps give you essentially like especially like bumble where the girl has to go first or the woman has to go first there's a pretty like a, a pretty inherent um consent to it all but you probably feel the same way right like if someone were to swipe you know on me on bumble and then actually engage in conversation clearly she's a psychopath and that's the biggest <laughs> red flag <laughs> then let me uh let me you know mentioning that if he did use dating apps then i can sympathize with him a little bit more because other than other than being drunk, Adrian, have you ever done a have you ever done a cold open like tried to hit on someone in the street? I don't. I I haven't. Uh no no. In public, yeah no. There's that actually. That, there's that Seinfeld episode about it. I know one of your friends keeps track of every time we mention uh, a a <laughs> Seinfeld. This one's for reference. you, Charlie. <laughs> this one's for you, Charlie. But uh, there is that one where where they're at the tennis game, right? And. Oh. Uh, I thought you were talking about the and, thing where George like feels the fabric and says like, "Is that cashmere?" <laughs> this is the other one because it's uh, it's like Jerry like just walks up to a girl and hits on her, and then George is like, or and he's like, "What type of guy are you? What are you gonna have shag carpeting next to <laughs> <Yeah>. you? <laughs> <laughs> you be having threesomes and stuff." <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that is true. Paul and I, as people probably can glean from the ethos of the show, are not um, we're not avid flirters. I once uh, flirted my way into uh, being able to hang out at the front door of New Brooklyn Tavern with the guy who checks people's IDs. And I was just hanging out with him and I was taking people's IDs and he kept taking them from me saying, you're not, you're, you don't work here. <laughs> and I was just sitting there hanging out with him, taking IDs. Looking straight at the customer. No, he doesn't work here. <laughs> That's true. A policeman came in with his gun and he was pointing at both of us. And he was like, which one, which one's which? You know, I was like, I'm the real one. <laughs> He's the phony. <laughs> Um, uh, do we have anything else to mention here? Uh, no. Yeah, clearly this guy should probably seek therapy. <laughs> he probably needs to build some self-esteem and stuff. Because, you know, it's a whole new world of dating out there, as I've said, and as fits the theme. And, uh, you know, he needs to be prepared for that. As sort of fits the theme. As very vaguely in. Uh, audience, write in. Sound off in the comments. Who do you think fit the theme better this episode? Paul or Adrian, leave a five-star review with your comments. Uh, Okay. Here's the answer from Dr. Nerdlove. Well, I'll give you credit, I see. You're the first person I've seen who's tried to use the utilitarian ethical framework to explain why he shouldn't approach people. Now, you and I both know that the question you have isn't the question you're asking. But for the sake of argument, I, I, will, I want to actually engage your position here. The thing you're arguing is that approaching someone might cause them distress, with little chance of a positive outcome. And thus, with a utilitarian outlook, where one should attempt to cause as little harm and promote as much good as possible, is ethical to not approach someone. And hey, I see where you're coming from. And if you were right, I totally agree with you. This feels like, this feels like entertaining a child to start with. I see where you're coming from. No, you don't. <laughs> Nobody should ever see where this person is coming from. I, I think he sees where he's coming from. But you're leaving out a number of key issues. The first is that it isn't a one-sided equation. You've essentially erased the potential interest and agency of every woman out there. You are starting from the presumption that women are passive actors in this scenario, who are there just to be receptive to people who may or may not approach them. That ain't true. In fairness, it's a common misconception, but it still isn't true. While women may not be doing the approaching as often as men do, that doesn't mean that they're standing around doing nothing. As I told Shy Guy last time, women who are interested in being approached put quite a bit of effort into being approachable, from the way they dress to the way they signal the people they're interested in. Whoa, do not approach somebody because you think they're dressed slutty. That is a bad advice. From... <laughs> <laughs> you can see why I didn't cut this out. From the way they dress to the way they signal to people they're interested in the way that they'd appreciate someone to come say hi. Women are as active in the old mating dance as men. Their work may not be as obvious to an outside observer, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So right off the bat, if someone is giving you the classic look at you, look away, look back and smile, they're going to be distressed. They're not going to be distressed if you do approach them. And then there's the fact that many women are painfully shy. They may well be dying for someone to come talk to them, but are absolutely terrified to make the first move. Being the person to come up to that wallflower and start a conversation would be a net positive, while leaving them to quietly kick themselves would be increasing the amount of distress in the world. That's also a weird one, where his point is basically like, if someone's shy, you're doing a disservice by not <laughs> approaching yeah. them. So far, this is a horrible answer. The second is that people who are looking to date, particularly people on dating sites or in social spaces where mingling is expected and encouraged, go into it understanding that there will be people they don't click with, that there will be frustrations and the occasional, why did I do that? That's part of the social E-U-L-A you clicked yes to when you agreed to participate in society. E-U-L-A. End user license agreement. He really is the doctor of nerd love. Oy, oy, oy. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> but can we be honest here, my dude? Uh, just between you, me, and the entire readership of Kotaku, this ain't about ethics. 
This is about you not wanting to approach people and trying to rationalize it into being something noble instead of just accepting the fact that you've chosen not to. I mean, it's kind of glaringly clear that you're dealing with low self-esteem issues here. The fact that you define somebody noticing that you may be attracted to them as causing distress isn't exactly the subtlest of clues. And straight talk here? Once you get out of high school, reasonable people don't freak out over the idea that someone they're not into is into them. The best thing you could do is find yourself a counselor or therapist and talk to them about your self-esteem and that your interest in someone is somehow in a position on them. I think you'll be far happier in the long run. Good luck, Dr. Nerdlove. Yeah, it feels like he could have cut out that whole first paragraph where he was uh, just entertaining the idea that this was some sort of logical issue about the amount of happiness and joy you bring into the world. (laughs) Some sort of utilitarian argument and just skip to the second paragraph. It was like, bruh, you need therapy. Dr. Nerdlove's duality is really on display here, where his first point of like women's agency in the matter is like a really good feminist take. And then immediately followed up by like, they put a lot of effort into making themselves fuckable for you, bro. You gotta <laughs> approach them. Yeah, you see her with a short skirt on. She's just screaming to be talked to. <laughs> okay, let's go past approaching. When, when do you, when do you make physical contact? When do you, when do you do that? When do you do like the little shoulder brush? When do you do like the little uh, little graze of their arm? I don't know. Like I said, like I I, I do sympathize with the fact that I, I don't really approach people in public, and it feels weird. I don't know if that's just me because I definitely am a more introverted person. Yeah, I think this is more me. socially awkward. But or is it just a modern thing? Like I mean, a whole new world. <laughs> you're right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have a pretty funny story. You know, with the advent of online dating being an option, it just feels so much less necessary to put yourself out there like that. No, no, no I do the hipster way. I do the classifieds in the newspaper. <laughs> um, no, I have a semi-funny story about this but i don't think it's pot appropriate so i guess i'll just say that yes it it, for me it takes like an overwhelming amount of signs from somebody for me to finally accept like oh yeah i guess this probably would probably this person would probably consent to a uh (laughs) to to, approach an approach yeah all right well let's jump into the next yeah let's let's find it let's let's find yeah let's find a good ending point for that all right i'm sending you uh my article if you want to read along all right my interpretation of a whole new world society is moving so fast nowadays that we probably live in a whole new world compared to like the people of 2000 when we were five years old right adrian absolutely all those people are dead and gone one of the big ones during the 20th century was feminism right women winning the right to vote and freeing themselves from the shackles of domestic servitude and this is kind of an article that gets at that a little bit it's it's honestly, it's so crazy because it is uh, 1949. It was posted right on the e- eve of 1950. So this was posted December 30th, 1949 in the Beaver Valley Times by uh, somebody who I've brought in before, a Miss Dorothy Dix. Wait, Paul, this is an article about feminism from Beaver Valley written by Dorothy Dix. Yeah, well, I don't see anything weird about that. All right, maybe that's just me then. <laughs> but yeah this is like very much written by somebody who's entering a whole new world where they have opportunities and a lifestyle that's alien to the people before them and alien to us because of how much we've progressed since this question was written so i'm gonna jump into it adrian uh and maybe you'll get an idea of what i'm asking or why yeah why Uh, um pitching it as such I feel like it's interesting that there's like some 
the serendipity of these kind of themes, like there's some connections to the third segment that I'm seeing from what you said in the first article and in the second article. And I, I like the serendipity of that. Okay, interesting. I'll, I'm, I'm excited to see how this plays out then. Dear Miss Dix, I'm a 24-year-old businesswoman and earn a good salary doing the sort of work that I like. A fine young man wants to marry me. I love him, but he earns very little more than I do. Not enough for me to have the luxuries and the good clothes that I now have. When I look around, I see that the girls of my crowd who have married are tied down with babies that are shabby and look 10 years older than I do. And I wonder... Oh, God. You, you didn't take the pause from that comma, and it sounded like you were saying that the babies are shabby <laughs> and 10 years old. <laughs> when I look around, I see that the girls of my crowd who have married are tied down with babies. That they are shabby and look 10 years older than I do. And I wonder if the girl who swaps a good job for a wedding ring doesn't make a poor bargain. What do you think, Clara? Well, out the gate, you know what I think about marriage. Yeah, don't get married, Clara. I agree. Don't get married. Keep your job. Keep your independence. In my case, I'm not anti-marriage, but in this situation, I mean, why would you get married if you were a woman in the 1950s? Or in 1949, December 30th? 24-year-old businesswoman? Yeah, I mean... I think this was enough of an issue that it became a rom-com trope that they had to like convince America that it's wrong to be a 24-year-old independent businesswoman, right? <laughs> like exactly. that's the whole John Mulaney bit about it of like I'm a, I'm a busy businesswoman who's always too busy with business. <laughs> Ma'am, you can't answer that phone. We're out of baptism. <laughs> and then she eventually finds a man who like makes her forget about business and just wants to have a family. Like it, apparently it was such a big issue that women like this existed that we had to create pop propaganda as a society to tell people it's wrong. I mean, back then there probably was so much fucking pressure. Like you can understand why this was like nowadays this would not be like an issue at all. It's like get married and you keep working. But the idea mm -hmm. is that she could not possibly keep working. <laughs> I wouldn't even be that dismissive. I think that's part of me and Doralee's child critique is that there are still people who think like this where they're like, oh, well, once I get shacked up, you know, he's going to want me to be a baby machine. So I got to feel so clean like a baby machine. So am I wrong for putting this in the whole new world section? Is this, uh, is this still something we're struggling with as a society? Honestly, Paul, that's the scariest thing about it. It ain't a whole new world. <laughs> no, no, no. I think uh, I'm not critiquing your uh, fitting into the theme. I think it's I think, yeah, this is probably much more common for sure. I just, I would say that it's still definitely a thing. And something I thought was interesting, just like, as far as the whole new world being about, like, phases, to me, this, like, mapped almost perfectly, like, the era it was published in, and the, like, waves of feminism, like, this is a perfect, like, first wave feminism is kind of, like, served its purpose, and you're mm. entering, like, its last possible leg, and this is the sort of, like, new issue that was arising because now women did have like the right to vote and the right to get jobs in a workplace and yeah. they had some of the legal protections but now it's entering like the okay now these new problems are appearing and soon enough you'd start seeing like the biggest like in the 60s or the late 50s early 60s you'd start seeing like the biggest second wave feminism voices appearing that we're tackling this exact issue which was like social issues like should you be expected to yeah. uh live a domestic life as a married this is woman uh or... this is bang on second wave feminism feminine mystique type stuff except the difference is this person isn't taking an issue with it she's asking it as a matter of fact question because second wave feminism isn't there yet she's just mm. identifying the issue 
of being a woman in uh, 1949-1950s and asking Dorothy Dix about it because she can't ask Miss Steinem yet, right? That was Gloria Steinem? That was the yeah, second yeah, yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. She can't ask her yet, so she has to ask Dorothy Dix in the Beaver Valley Times. <laughs> uh, okay. The other thing is, I can't tell if this is like a stylistic writing thing from back then where like people now just like to drone on because you can just type forever, but um, whereas this had like a very physical space to take up in the newspaper. But the fact that we have the information we have on the man she wants to marry is that he's a fine young man. <laughs> but he doesn't make good money. She makes better money than him. How much of a fine young man could he be? Yeah. He doesn't make enough to sustain her her current standard of living. Okay. So here's my red pill take, if you want it, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> marry the guy divorce him so that he pays alimony to you that way you have like a 75 percent, you know increase in income or whatever and then find another guy to marry and then you can use that extra money to like you know bolster up your lifestyle well i mean if that was the answer she could just find it she clearly wants to marry this person because otherwise she could just find a guy who made enough money whoever guy him. one and guy two is is irrelevant i'm just saying the scheme works <laughs> the scheme <laughs> yeah Marriage should always be because it's a scheme. Like for green cards or for alimony. <laughs> what was the scheme your parents were running, Adrian? Uh, tax purposes. Mm. But yeah, that's, that's why they always told me that. The obvious answer is get married to him and don't give up your job. But it seems like that's not even something that's crossing her mind. Well, how is she going to have a job and a baby? I think the issue is that they they can't even visualize the idea of not staying at home with your kid. Like, the idea of not being a homemaker. You think she's one of those people who, like, grows up to, like, uh, really demonize women who don't uh, breastfeed but use formula? Oh, I mean, you shouldn't demonize anybody for it, but you you really shouldn't use exclusively formula. It's not good for the child. Ooh, Paul, we're getting getting into it. Do you disagree? Yeah, I think you should just give them, like, a solid water and bread. I think is probably best for a baby. <laughs> Babies do best when they just have a hunk of cheese and bread, like a good sturdy Like bread. a hobbit being sent on a, on a, on a quest. <laughs> and maybe a sliver of beef jerky. <laughs> if we're in fat times during the harvest, just give them a, give them a sliver of beef jerky to gnaw on. Okay, uh, jump into the answer. Yeah, I don't know. It felt like you had more to say, but maybe you don't. Uh, I don't Not know. really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, is a, it is a whole new world. These are the kind of decisions that we're, we'll never have to make, Paul. Actually, I, I would love to make this decision. I would love to be a stay-at-home dad. That would be nice. Okay, Dorothy Dix's answer. Your problem is one that competent young businesswomen have always had. You do well, Clara, to consider long and earnestly before you exchange your job for a husband. For one thing is certain, you cannot have your cake and eat it too. For when romance pales and the hard sledding of matrimony sets in, the woman who has been used to having her own money and to dressing well and to going to places of amusement and to working in a crowd instead of with the shut walls of her home only too often rebels against the restrictions of matrimony. If you marry... You must pay the price of matrimony, and unless you are willing to make a man a comfortable and happy home, and unless you love him enough to sacrifice uncomplainingly your longing for good times and pretty clothes, you have no right to get married. It is a dishonest thing for a girl to marry a poor man and not to accept cheerfully the conditions of life which his income places upon her. 
So don't marry your man unless you are a good enough sport to play the game. Don't marry him unless you feel you can put as much effort and ambition into learning to be a good cook as you did into being an invaluable office woman. Don't marry unless you feel that his love is worth more than all the money in the world. For the wife and the mother is never paid in dollars and cents. Love is the only coin that is current with her. And if she doesn't get that, she isn't paid at all. Yeah, really of its time. <laughs> so I think me and Adrian can both agree that that was spot on. Nothing to Perfect. critique. We are adding Miss Dix to our list. Hall of Fame. Best answers. <laughs> best answers. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, obviously, I know it was 1949. There was a lot of racism and sexism and misogyny, but holy shit, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um... it still is shocking to read. In such yeah, a yeah. I, I, <laughs> I think we had a, we're, we're tail ended with jaw drops from my question and then your answer. <laughs> uh, she should not have written in. <laughs> she, she might as well have written into joe rogan <laughs> the fact that this is an answer from another woman this is not like some sort of mra like men's rights activist like crazy right-wing conspiracy answer this is uh this is probably what for the time was a liberal woman answering this question exactly like i brought this up before right about eleanor roosevelt doing her advice column book and one of the questions is being like someone writing in to Eleanor Roosevelt asking if women should have the right to vote. <laughs> and she's like, you know, I, I keep thinking about it and I'm like, does, does it really make sense? <laughs> like, yeah, it's, 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 uh, uh, it's wild. That's wild, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like I said, you can really see like the themes of, of like first wave feminism breaking into becoming like something clearly needed to fit the place and become second wave feminism because it's just like holy shit wait you have the right to have a career and you have like these opportunities now but you're still as soon as you get married all of that is stripped with you because of like social rules like they're very clearly needed something to be something to like fill that vacuum <laughs> yeah there's also this imbalance again of um question spent no time describing the man and the answer is spent a good chunk being like you better love this man with all your heart because that's going to be the only payment you get from now on as soon as you get married yeah he sounds like a catch he's the most wonderful man ever you better fucking dedicate yourself wholly and completely to being a good wife so paul are you ready for our third segment you know i am so for our third segment i decided to take a different look at a whole new world and so this is a whole new world quiz about, you know, uh, I think originally people played the sport of golf. But then when mini golf came around, someone could say that's not only a whole new world, but a whole new world. H-O-L-E. So I spent the morning looking up trivia about mini golf. And I have a quiz for you. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't get what the connection was. Why is... I get hole and hole, but... What's... And mini golf is a whole new world post-golf. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think it justifies itself. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually spent a surprisingly entertaining time reading about mini golf. <laughs> so I got a quiz for you. Well, uh, and I'm... 
what's your you know let's let's actually review our history with mini golf first what what, what do you like windmills are you uh uh, do you like uh, putting it into the clown's mouth? I'm I'm more of a uh, like scenes of Europe, like an Eiffel Tower, Dutch windmill type guy. Okay, uh, yeah, I'm, me, I'm more of that kind of guy. Me too. I want pleasant miniatures, not like Which wacky is... carnival imagery. What did Frankie's Fun Park have? What was their theme? Was it Frankie's Fun it was Park was like plain. actually natural stuff. It was like uh, yeah. it was, there was like windmills, but then there was also a lot of like rivers and waterfalls type stuff going on. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably where we played most of our mini golf growing up, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that was the most common one. There was one I can't remember what it was. It in an ice skating rink, not ice skating or a uh, regular skating rink. There was like a mini golf course attached Ooh. to it somewhere in Colombia. I don't know. I don't think so. It was like roller skating and mini golf attached to each other. I will say one of the f- most fun times I've had in Wait. Oakland, no San Francisco, was I went to an indoor putting place with uh, Justin. That was really fun. I'm trying to think, who did I do that with then if it wasn't you? Because I did all that type of shit with you. So who did I go to roller skating and mini golf putting with? And- I don't know, because I actually really don't like roller skating. Really? Interesting. I I'm, love I'm really skating. bad at it. I'm so bad at it. It's so fun. You don't have to be great. Anyway, okay. Get no, I literally, like, I literally can't even like get off the ground. Like Last uh, time, Dorley and I went to a place in Brooklyn that's like a high school that closes down to do roller skating at the end of the week. And uh some very sexually aggressive old women just like took me upon them like a little bird out of a nest trying to teach me how to roller skate and it not only felt patronizing and like i was an idiot because it was so hard for me to do but yeah they were also touching me a lot and i didn't like it so (laughs) i didn't enjoy that at all it was a cool place i liked the vibes but i just can't roller skate and it it makes me feel very dumb and i don't like feeling incompetent like that (laughs) interesting interesting okay this is not a roller skating quiz though this is a mini golf quiz (laughs) Yeah, any other ideas? Like, it's largely considered a very big first date type thing to do. I've definitely done a double date at mini golf before. And uh, Paul, how would you rate your skills one to ten? Five. Uh, I would say I'm like a. I would say it's like pool for me, where I'm like I'm like a solid six, six point five. If I've had like two beers and I'm in that right area, maybe a seven. I'm actually very bad at pool. Well, this isn't a pool quiz. This is a mini golf quiz. Um, so unlike other quizzes, it's, there's 10 questions, but we're not going to randomize because it kind of has like a narrative flow to it from how I was reading the history of, uh, mini golf. Um, so I'm just going to go straight chronologically through this. Um, I think there's one bonus point. So I think you can get 11 as your top score. Do you want to make a guess about how you're going to do? Honestly, this sounds really hard unless, can you give me a sense of whether or not you think I can intuit the answers or are they just like, what year was mini golf invented? Oh, it's all multiple choice. Uh, I'll give myself. I think I can get. I, I think I can get at least half. So six. Okay. Cool. And and I will say multiple choice. Uh, it's not just A B C D. I do the entire alphabet for every question. So there's twenty six <laughs> options for every question. That's how I kind of do multiple choice. Okay. Okay. That's part of my pedago- pedagogical. Approach. It's multiple choice. It's not short essay. I don't have to. <laughs> no. 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 You don't have to start with an intro paragraph. <laughs> okay. So here we go. Starting off real simple. Question number one. Which of these is not a known nickname for miniature golf? A. Crazy golf. B. Wacky golf. C. Goofy golf. Or D. And this is precedented by Paul, so I don't have to do a trigger warning. Midget golf. Goofy golf. Paul, that is incorrect. Wacky golf was one that I made up. I'm Googling this. And go ahead and give yourself a zero point for that. You're going to keep up with your own score for this one. Okay, cool. All right. When you Google wacky golf, miniature golf is the first thing that comes up, but fine. We'll pretend. Nope. These are from my sources. This is a cross-sourced thing. Um, 
Number 2. The Ladies' Putting Club of St. Andrews is the oldest course in the world, and it is located in what country? A. England. I'm, I'm not B, even going to let you finish. It's Ireland. B. France. C. Ireland. D. Scotland. And C. Paul says Ireland, which is wrong. It is Scotland. Damn it. <laughs> is this where you're going for uh, Ireland is where it was invented? Yeah. Yes, yeah, Scotland is where golf was invented. <laughs> so you had the right association. But uh, no, yeah, it is Scotland, not Ireland. Um, but good on me for including that as one of the options. Um, yeah, it's actually, it was founded right next to a regular golf course. Um, and it was a golf course that was specifically a putting ground that was made for women because it was considered too manly to swing a big club around. Mm. Um, which also brings me back to one last thing I wanted to say about putt-putt was, in addition to miniature golf being something that I enjoy, there was one time where, because Mark was really into um golf we went to a golf store together and they had like a little putting green where you can try out the different putters and uh man one of those things that's like if 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 they don't think you're like you know teenagers who are fucking around and you can just like spend some time during your day like putting around in a random store fun way to spend an afternoon when they actually think you're gonna buy something (laughs) um okay three thistle do um kind of a way of saying this'll do Mm-hmm. Uh, is the first recognizable miniature golf course in the U.S. situated in Pinehurst, North Carolina. Uh, so this is the first U.S. mini golf course, okay. and it was opened in A, 1889, B, 1916, C, 1924, D, 1925. 1916. Paul's on the board. <sighs> One point. Okay. Was that a test-taking skill thing? Yeah, I mean, I assumed you weren't going to pick any of the two extremes, and then the other two were so close to each other, that would have been a jerk move to make it one of those, so I didn't think... I thought you would have picked that up, is that I thought it was funny that I did 24 and 25. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, good good testing skills there. Falls on the board. Um, okay, uh, I don't have anything else to say about that one. Um, yeah. Four, glow-in-the-dark miniature golf courses originated in A the u.s b canada c finland d scotland i want to say the u.s because we always make everything more like we we want to add novelties to it we're the innovators baby but maybe it could be finland or canada based on like hey it's nighttime all the time we gotta the ball it's nighttime all the time (laughs) (laughs) during the winter it's nighttime for 23 hours a day we have to make it glow in the dark so we can see the ball so it could be Finland under that logic. I'll say the U.S. as a novelty thing. We we like to add novelties. Um. Okay, Paul, I'm going to give you one point for getting the reasoning, but for missing the fact that it was Finland uh, slash general Scandinavian countries is actually okay. what the fact is. Um. Yeah, and this is one of those interesting facts where, you know, I got all of these from like sources that are just like web pages for different places. And clearly there was one mother source that has a list of golf facts and everyone just copied this one onto their website because <laughs> it's like in every like, you know, top 10 facts about uh, miniature golf or whatever. Number five, worldwide, people celebrate what day as miniature golf day? April 25th, May 16th, September 21st, October 5th. October 5th. Paul, it is September 21st, which is supposedly the best day around the world to go miniature golfing. Mm. Perfect weather conditions every year. But it's miniature golfing. A lot of times that's indoors, but okay. Nope. Outdoors. This isn't part of the quiz, but 
indoors and outdoors, and sometimes you have an outdoor course just for the Negroes if you're in the U.S. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally, uh, I didn't, there was no good question to make out of it, but there's a pretty interesting uh, history of uh, black celebrities and racism and stuff with uh, miniature golf. All right, we're halfway through, Paul. How are you doing? You got two points? Yeah. All right, and we one have to nail them, these last ones. And one of them was you being nice to give me that point, so. <laughs> it's a whole pity point, a whole pee-pee. Okay. Uh, they get a little bit more fun because from this point on they're poorly sourced and probably <laughs> no, 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 not no. true <laughs> from here on out um, I really had to like put together different sources of information to make questions and answers instead of just like someone saying this is the year that this was founded I had to like l- kind of really put together different threads to make the questions um, so here's one the nickname putt-putt which Paul do you use miniature golf mini golf putt-putt I think I, I, I would use all of them depending on just what came to mind first all right. The nickname Putt-Putt originates from A, one of the main companies that builds mini golf courses, B, the nickname given to mini golf by Japanese immigrants in California, C, the nickname used by the daughter of CEO of Tom Thumb Golf Company who couldn't pronounce miniature golf, D, working class players on the East Coast who wanted to use their own name separate from what the upper class used, which was mini golf. I want to say it's one of the first two. I feel like it's def- either Japanese immigrants or what was the first one um uh, it's one of the companies that it's one of the it's the name of one of the main companies it does sound like a marketing courses. it does sound like a marketing thing or like one of the things where it's like oh like kleenex like oh it became so ubiquitous it's mm. called putt putt now I'll, I'll go with that a it's a manufacturing name paul great test taking skills that's exactly the situation yeah nice so putt putt and i found this out from reading uh, about it Table, no, ping pong is the same thing. It's a company that makes like uh, table tennis uh, hardware. Uh, and that's one of those things where it's like Kleenex, where people just took that as the name of the of the thing. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's a company that actually builds the golf courses. Uh, and then the Japanese immigrant thing, I was trying to allude to like a Scott Pilgrim, Pac-Man was called Paku Paku <laughs> type thing <laughs> of like, I just assumed you'd have some kind of internal uh, recognition of the fact that Japanese people like to say things twice. <laughs> Um, okay. Many of the zany obstacles associated with mini golf originated post depression era when courses needed cheap building materials. Things that were used for these purposes include all except for A. Old tires, B. Pipes, C. Trained monkeys, D. Rain gutters. I'm gonna go with trained monkeys. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, even though that feels like it would be too obvious for you to include as an answer. It just also, I don't want to trick myself by double doing logic and saying, oh, it's so obvious that it ha- I don't know. Yeah, that one. Are you sure you justified yourself appropriately? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you just put a gimme in there. No, it's mostly that I wanted to tell the story of in the 1930s, there was a mini uh, golf place where part of their advertising is that one of the obstacles was a trained monkey who would grab your ball if you weren't paying attention. <laughs> I just remember, I, that was that was pre-depression. There's no way that could have worked, right? <laughs> no, I think it's a wild yeah. monkey attacking people. <laughs> have you not seen like people on the streets of Vegas like doing the thing where they teach a monkey to like take a dollar from you or whatever? Like, yeah, you can teach a monkey a simple trick like that. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I just really enjoyed that. So I wanted uh, to bring that. I in. would I would pay a premium to go to that course. <laughs> I think that was the idea. <laughs> um, okay. Number eight. 
Which of these five are not an officially sanctioned type of miniature golf tournament, according to the World Mini Golf Sports Federation, which, if you don't know, is the one and only governing body of miniature golf sporting? Oh, yeah, I did. Actually, I did know that. I'm sure you did. Mm hmm. Paul's an active member. He just, he's got his card out right now. <laughs> it's like FIFA. It's like FIFA. It's just like they they always have so many scandals are in the are in the news that just kind of. It's true. It so up. much corruption in the miniature golf sporting realm. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna list out different names of types of tournaments. Um, there was that a, big controversy where it was kind of like Pluto, where one of the golf courses was deemed too big and had to become a real golf course. <laughs> definitionally. <laughs> Yeah, where where is the line? I mean, it seems pretty easy to draw because there, <laughs> there's a pretty big gap between the two. Um, okay. Um, so is it A, felt, B, miniature golf, C, miniature golf open standard, D, scramble, E, concrete? Which of these five are not an officially sanctioned type of mini golf tournament according to the mini golf sport federation okay so we had felt that feels real i'm gonna go ahead and knock that out of the running like miniature golf Ooh, that this feels like it might have been a trick where miniature golf is one of the because that's too generic if there's a mini golf federation how can they have miniature golf as one of the categories but what were the other options miniature golf open standard mm -hmm. uh scramble and concrete Concrete also sounds silly. Who would play miniature golf on concrete? But maybe it's a it's a alternative. I don't know why you would come up with that as an option. I'm gonna say just miniature golf by itself. All right, I finally got Paul to fall for one of my tricks. Damn uh, it. it is scramble, which is a type of real golf tournament, not a type of miniature golf tournament. But yes, of there are four types of miniature golf tournaments, two of which are miniature golf and miniature golf open standard. <laughs> Well, that's stupid as hell. Scramble also to I me agree. sounds like something that would be like a billiards, like like alternative game you could play on a billiards table. Like, oh, let's play a game of scrambles off. Uh, okay, two more, Paul. What's your score right now? Four. Number nine. I I, I let you keep score, so I can't be mad if I, I think that the uh, the numbers are being <laughs> smudged, budged. My, my score is uh, fifteen so far. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I'm gonna ask these out of order because I like the other one better. Okay, uh, number nine, the height of mini golf, the height of mini golf's popularity eventually died down due to all of the following reasons, except a competition from the movie industry, which had just recently begun widespread use of sound in film, b pressure from churches and other moral organizations, c the faddish nature of the game, i.e. there were too many establishments being built to fill an ultimately fleeting demand. Or D, general hardships associated with the Depression. Oh, and for context, it was 1930s is when it's it It's definitely going to be the second one, but I love that it was considered, like, it, it's like it was the frozen yogurt of its time that too many places <laughs> opened. <laughs> and that meant that, it, like, eventually, it just when it died down, you just got all these places closing down and then becoming, like, a bowl places that had to close down a year later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, almost certainly too. The rest of them completely make sense, so it has to be too. You're going with pressure from churches and other moral yeah, organizations. That's the only one that doesn't seem to have a reason. Uh, Paul, the answer is A. Damn. Not only was mini golf a huge competitor for the movie industry, not only because it was cheaper and because it attracted basically people of all stars and stripes, but 
Hollywood was so afraid of mini golf as an alternative form of entertainment that they barred like famous actors from being photographed, being filmed playing. Wait, mini wait, golf. wait, wait! I guess I misunderstood the question. I thought you were saying which one of these was. N- I thought you said except. Yeah. You were saying which one of these was not a reason for its decline, except. No, it eventually died down for all of the reasons except. Yeah, so if it was A, then it that is one of the reasons it died down was because movies were in competition with it. No, no, no. All, mini golf eventually died down due to all of the following reasons except. So competition from the movies was not one of the issues. It was actually like out-competing movies in a way that made them like fearful of their own popularity but for but so they were competing products it took away some amount of yeah but that wasn't one of the reasons that the popularity died down like the movie industry didn't like make a a successful coordinated campaign against okay so they did have a coordinated campaign it just wasn't successful yeah, I wouldn't say it was super coordinated. It was more of well, like Well, you said a, they wouldn't know, let their actors be photographed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff like, like that. Which, that sounds coordinated. That sounds like somebody made some yeah, kind of it was, or coordination. Th- so well, what's interesting is that if you look at the ties between Hollywood elites at that time and the CIA. Adrian, who's who paying eventually you? Overthrew- who's paying you to? <laughs> Dude, this, I'm going to blow this wide open. Um, no, yeah. So there were general hardships associated with the Depression. Even if it was cheap, it just wasn't a sustainable way for people to get on. It, it was a bit faddish. Um, and then churches and moral organizations saw mini golf for a while as being essentially the same as pool halls, which had really bad like mob associated um, uh, connotations. And so they also were like there were laws against being able to play mini golf on Sunday uh, and things like that, trying to get people to not let their kids play it because there were like scary connotations of what it could mean that they're spending so much time at the golf course. Yeah, man, man, churches always sucked. Christians are always uh, just out. They're always out. the most fearful people <laughs> of <laughs> everything in the world. Outstripping themselves for the most moronic opinion of the decade. Um, okay, and then we're going to end with this question right here. In 1930, during the height of the mini golf craze, the LA Times reported on what group of people uh, as being who should be best at mini golf, a game that attracted folks from all ages, genders, and classes. Um, and it's a bonus point if you can guess why they said this group of people should be the best at mini golf. They said it was, they were saying it was the white women because of their good logic. Wait, no, they wouldn't say women had logic skills. Uh, actually, yeah, tell you, me the group. Tell me the group. A, the pores. B, the blacks. C, the women. D, the children. So again, this is focusing on the idea that mini golf was a game that really kind of invited everyone to come play and was something that everyone could participate in so who did the la times say which should be the technically best at doing this i want to say for very clearly funny reasons i wish they'd said it with the children because they were also miniature <laughs> like the golf <laughs> that would be this a, is 1930s la times that do would the, be do that as you a genius justification um i don't think i don't think they would have said the blacks <laughs> by the way this is my own wording i just i like the the way to categorize people this way. What was the other potential one? The oh. poor is the blacks, the women, the children. I don't think they would have said the poor. I guess they would have said the women because you even insinuated at first that mini golf was a way for places to open up, uh, like golf for clubs to open up a way for women to golf who weren't who were mm-hmm. too uh, dainty to smack around big clubs. So I would have said they would have come up with some weird justification to say that women because of their like logic and 
I don't know. Because they're big facts and logic? Yeah, because, like, mini golf has a lot to do with, like, knowing angles, right? And, like... And they're notoriously good at geometry. (laughs) Women are notoriously good at geometry. (laughs) Yeah, something like that? I don't know. I I don't think they would have said anything polite about the poors or the blacks. That's true. They... they... (laughs) They, they wouldn't say anything nice about those groups. Uh, Paul, what's your scoring right now? Are you on uh, on the four. verge of winning? No. Right, okay. So if you got both of these, you would win. Okay. If you got the the people and the, I, the I can tell reasoning. from your facial expression that you're trying to build me up for a false hope. I can tell it's a classic Adrian being a dick. Whoa. <laughs> you got you got the you got the people right. They did say that women should be particularly good at putt putt. And the quote here is because of their hereditary their hereditary gift of wielding a broom day in and day out <laughs> should put them in a way that they are because it resembles the motion of sweeping. They should be good at putting. That's tight. Yeah, right. That's awesome. Uh, okay, yeah, that that's my a whole new world. Uh, all right, big fact no cap. Uh, big fact. What did we even talk about? <laughs> no cap. Sometimes you don't learn anything from doing a podcast episode with your friend, and that's okay. Big fact, if you want to have a theme that actually like makes sense and can be tied together sufficiently at the end in a way that feels like there's some sort of resolution or moral lesson to the whole thing, you have to pick something a little bit tighter than a whole new world as your theme. You can't, you can't just pick a vague phrase as the theme of the episode. No cap, if you don't like the outcome of your favorite podcast podcast host doing something like that, send in your own ideas with a five-star review. And the five-star review is very important. It's a whole new world. <laughs> it, it was a good time, Adrian. I'll, I'll right, talk to you buddy. later, buddy. Bye. I'll talk to you later. Yes. Shimmering, splendid. Tell me, princess, now when did you last let your heart decide? I can open your eyes, take you wonder by wonder, over sideways and under on a magic carpet ride. A whole new Fantastic point of view, no one to tell us no from where.